morning we have an action-packed show here for you today uh, it is a beautiful Friday uh, in the Midwest and this is Joe Moran on the Joe Moran show um, really looking forward to this discussion and talking about something that I was aware of um, subconsciously and, and maybe the, the best way to put it is I wasn't able to fully articulate how I felt and why I felt this um, in the past, probably up until about four or five months ago. But it was something that I could just sense. Um, really, I would say within the last five years. But like I said, it provided some clarity. Right, I, I got clarity on why I felt this way within the last few months. And, and it's something that I think is important for uh, millennials and, and Gen Zers and really the younger generation to think about as we go into this and as we embrace um, the new paradigm shift, the new sea change, the new world order. Um, and that's a breakdown of institutions. And most notably, the institution that I'm going to talk about is the mindset of working for a large corporation and either the security that you think it provides you when reality it's a lack of security and being trapped from a kind of monetary standpoint as well as a psychological standpoint. So I'm going to start off um, with this discussion and you know I've got I'm going to share my own thoughts and my own personal experience with this. Um, because I think it's going to be a real trend in the future. And based on my conversations with other individuals, my friends, family, acquaintances, um, I know their sentiment and mutual feelings that I have. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about this, and then I'm going to dive in a little bit into the implications of um, Silicon Valley and the exodus that's occurring there, uh, you know, what I think the implications are in the real estate market within the United States, um, as well as, you know, again, what this mindset is of the younger generations and how they're viewing the changes that are happening in the world, along with what are the action steps needed to put yourself in position to be successful and to take advantage of what's happening? And then finally, we'll wrap it up with some with some information on the dollar, the movements, the volatility that we've experienced or we've seen over the past month, and how the Fed is boxed in. They know it, we know it. The people that are paying attention know it. And the Fed is hoping that the rest of society, the 99% that aren't paying attention, they're hoping that they don't become aware of how dire the situation really is. So 
that's the show for today. Uh, really excited because I think the societal impacts of younger generations like myself, I'm 35 years old, um, and the decisions that we're going to make going forward are going to be different than the decisions that we would have made pre-pandemic. And let me dive in to what I mean exactly when I say that. So, like I mentioned in our first episode, I worked for a large um, Kenworth truck dealer. In fact, it's the largest Kenworth truck dealer in the world. Um, Over 70 locations in multiple states. Uh, Truly a, you know, large large corporation, private company, um, could certainly go public if it wanted to. Um, but definitely meaningful from a profitability standpoint, um, size of balance sheet, you know, 4,000 plus employees. And, you know, since it's in the transportation space, It has a direct kind of forward impact or forward-looking impact on the overall economy, which is one of the reasons why I work there, because of how transportation impacts the economy. And I've always been interested in financing the economy, so, you know, overall it made sense. Now, I thought like I think most young people think when they graduate from college, if they go to, if they, you know, graduate from college is, Hey, I want to go work at a corporation. I want to move up the corporate ladder. It provides security. I will always have a paycheck. Um, you know, if I work harder than everybody else, then I can get ahead. And, you know, I think those things, are largely true, especially the work harder, right? I think you get in, you get out what you get in, right? If you put a lot of effort in, you show up every day on time, you work hard, and I believe that the results will come. You know, it's not complicated. Being successful is not complicated. Uh, You have to be willing to put in the work. But if you do those things, you'll be successful. So I believe that. And I believe that 10 plus years ago. um, And I believe that today. Now, while I was working at Murphy Hoffman Company, um, started as an intern, um, held a few different roles within the finance department, and I would say it was when, you know, probably three or four years into my career that I worked there for almost 10 years, I started to really question, not the organization, um, but it started to become clear to me that I was just a cog in an overall machine. Right, And when I say machine, yes, the organization itself was a machine, but really a cog in the overall economy in terms of what my impact was at that time as somebody that was, you know, let's call it 27, 28, you know, what my role was in the economy. You know, my role as a 28-year-old, you know, been promoted a few times, was making more money. Um, My influence within the organization was continuing to grow. But really, my role 
kind of stepping back from that in the overall economy was to consume, was to buy products ultimately, right? Go out, have a good time, consume, buy products, not save, right? That's what the Keynesian economists would want. Hey, don't save. We need you to spend. We got to keep the velocity of money rolling. Um, and I remember talking to my boss at the time, Mark Davidson, about it. And the realization was the economy needs me to be a consumer. So I can continue to make the 1%, the wealthy, the people that actually own the businesses, so I can make them money, right? If you only make, if a person only makes, let's call it 40 grand a year, there's very little wiggle room there um, to have excess capital to save or invest, right? And who's rewarded by everybody that was um, and everyone in the younger generation? Who's rewarded by that younger generation? having to spend everything to to live. It's the people that own the businesses, right? Every time that I consumed a good, the owners of my organization, again, it was a private company, so a few shareholders, the owners of my organization were benefiting as a transportation company that sold trucks, right? I purchase more goods, that means more goods have to be moved within the economy, which means more trucks have to be purchased, more service has to be done on those trucks, and the owners of the dealership would benefit and make more money. And the reality is the owners, and this is, you know, this is any organization, right? This is the structure of any company. The owners, because of the way the economic engine works, they have far more capital than they can spend on just consuming basic goods and the actual needs, whether it's food, energy, clothes, shelter, right? So those basic needs, they're making enough money to cover that and then some. They can only consume so much, right? So they can only consume so much of their profits that the rest, those excess profits, are then going to be invested and were invested outside of the company to continue to make the ownership group wealthier, which is fine, right? I mean, that's that's capitalism. But those trickle-down economics that we heard about and I heard about growing up and we still hear about today, that's not how it works. It's not how the economic engine works, Right? The reality is it's trickle-up economics, not trickle-down.
And I remember that conversation with my boss and just saying, look, they, the executives here, and I was specifically talking about our ownership team and executive team, but it could apply to anywhere. The executives here need me to spend so they can make more money, right? So I'm giving up my time, my resources for them to benefit. And it was at that moment that I started to really understand the game and the power dynamics within a corporation. Um, there's no question about it. That was, that was really the beginning, the very beginning of the end for me there. Um, and that was probably three years into my career at Murphy Hoffman Company, and I stayed there for almost 10 but it was that conversation that was really the beginning of the end for me. Um, I continued to get promoted, um, was the manager of our accounting team, corporate accounting team, moved again to be the controller of a business unit. I became the operations manager of another business unit and then eventually became the director and ran a business unit um, before moving into the IT group to uh, run our automation team. And at every step in the journey, as I continued to move up the organization, the clarity, the wisdom, the path, if you will, of what I thought should happen and where I thought things should go, and then the direction where I was headed personally as well as the organization, those those really were those are really were deviating from one another. Um, you know, the reality for me was as I was getting promoted, you know, I was making more money, uh, I was having more influence, but I became less happy every step of the way. Um, lack of fulfillment. Just not, you know, just not in a good spot. And and the reality is, is I was getting promoted, so why leave, right? And there's, you know, a concept in psychology called, you know, loss aversion, where the fear of the unknown is greater, so that fear has a weighs uh, weighs more is a heavier has a heavier bias than changing the status quo or sorry, the fear of the unknown and changing the status quo is greater than being miserable in the status quo and staying in the status quo and not changing. And organizations understand this. The executives at every company understand this dynamic. And they prey off it. They know that the longer you're with a organization or an institution, the more difficult it is to leave that institution. And it has to do with loss aversion. So about a year ago, year and a half ago, you know, I was frustrated. I was working for some people that 
you know, my direct managers and, you know, frankly, it was the CFO and the CEO at the time. They didn't understand the business that I was managing. Didn't understand it. And didn't understand it. They were, you know, paying my paycheck. I was, you know, frankly, I felt trapped, right? Um, you know, where I thought that the group should go, where I thought the business unit should go, was in a much different direction than where the organization wanted it to go. Um, frankly, just a different path than the organization was at and where the organization was going to go from a you know overall standpoint, not even the business unit, just the core group. Um, and why did that happen? Well, it's because I was reading, learning, trying to understand what makes companies successful in the 21st century and 2019 at the time how marketing customer service customer satisfaction social media technology removing friction and processes all of these things that where you know you talk to technology companies or SaaS companies, everything that they're focused on, those are the things that I was focused on. I ran a uh, financial kind of payments process business. And the organization didn't believe any of those things. Doesn't Didn't believe in technology and how technology could help drive business, uh, wasn't interested in investing in technology. Um, didn't understand the need to remove friction and processes. Was comfortable just doing things that they've always done. Uh, and so, you know, personally, I was at somewhat of an impasse um, because I was trying to drive this group forward and I kept running into roadblocks because the executives just didn't understand that the world was changing and has changed and had changed from 1990. And make no mistake about it, this company that I worked for was wildly successful. Wildly successful. I mean, think about it. We need trucks, right? You got to have trucks to move goods. So, wildly successful. But in my opinion, the company was being held back by the lack of change and the lack of understanding that technology was driving innovation and the company wasn't innovating. And the, and the business that I was in, which was a startup, um, I think we were three years, three years into it at the time, we had to embrace innovation if we were going to be successful competing against um, companies that have been in the space for 10 plus years while we were a new entrant. And so when I kept hitting these roadblocks, it was just very discouraging. Very discouraging. And to the point where you know, I told them I was going to leave. I didn't have a job, didn't have anything lined up. You know, I made enough money. I worked hard enough where I could step back and just pause, right? Um, step away, pause, get my right, mind right, um, figure out what I want to do next. Um, but what I, what I knew at the time was I didn't want to do what I was currently doing, right? There was no way I was going to work for that organization for my whole career. And, you know, I told my boss that and, you know, he was stunned because why wouldn't you want to? Um, and that was the CFO. 
And what I understood at the time was that things were changing so fast. Um, and I understood it, but I couldn't articulate it as things were changing so fast that, you know, I felt like I was getting behind and I couldn't keep up because of the roadblocks that I was hitting. So I switched into a different role, a technological role. I ran an automation team for about a year. And when I took the job, you know, the organization said, hey, we're going to invest in technology. We understand that the world's changing. Um, you know, we have to do it if we're going to stay competitive. But it was all lip service. So fast forward to the pandemic. The organization still is making money hand over fist. They'll probably have a top five year um, ever, even with the pandemic, even with a 40% reduction in net income. Still a, a, a phenomenal year when you only have a handful of shareholders. And what's amazing, so I was, I was laid off, which, thank goodness, um, tried to do it a year before. And they wouldn't let me. But the organization actually, instead of investing in technology, diving in deeper into the digital world, because that's where the world's headed. It's where it was going a year ago, and certainly more now uh, with the pandemic. They divested in technology instead of investing in technology they were cutting resources in technology and when you think about it and when I think about the last 10 years is I thought that I had security um because I was getting a paycheck, right? I was getting promoted. You know, even though I felt trapped, I was making a lot of money. You know, things things were okay. But the reality was and is, and I know it's out there for a lot of people that I've that I've talked to about this with, is it was riskier for me to stay in that organization. than it would have been to leave. And I'll get a lot of pushback and I'll take a lot of heat um, from people and they'll say, well, what do you mean? You were getting promoted, you were making more money, um, you ran a group of 30 people. But instead of it feeling like my career was de-risking as those things were happening happening it was it was actually riskier um, and I was taking on more risk and my career was becoming more fragile so not only was my career becoming more fragile which I'll get to in a second um, but I was becoming more miserable um, and the reasons why it was becoming riskier was the rate at which things change in today's world is much different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And if your skill set isn't changing and keeping up with the rate of change of technology, marketing, tool sets that are out there, then you're going to be left behind. You know, you hear it in the job market all the time is there's jobs available. 
the skills just don't match the jobs, right? There's a disconnect between the labor in this country from a skill set standpoint and that divide, that disconnect is only going to grow um, or has the, has the potential of growing unless people dive in and people look at and understand this dynamic that when you stay with a company that refuses to understand where the world's headed, that that's a risky situation from a career standpoint, from a money-making standpoint. Because A, corporations are going to do whatever they want. And if they're going to lay... 100 people off, 1,000 people off, you have no control over that, right? The executives are only worried about shareholders, and especially if you're in a private company, um, those shareholders are only going to be a select few, and they just care about making the shareholders more money, right? Which is what a corporation should do. Um, make no mistake about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's their key objective. But if you're in a company that isn't embracing all of the technology, isn't reinvesting in new tools for marketing, customer service, customer engagement, customer satisfaction, and if the executives, the ones that are making the decisions, don't grasp this, then when you try to leave that company, if you try to leave that company, you're going to be at a disadvantage in the job market. And there's no doubt about that. And so, I've... You know, personally, I feel like I've learned more within the last four months of not being at my previous organization than I've learned in the last five years of being there. I've learned more about what drives economic behavior. I've learned more about currencies, currency valuations, I've learned more about the stock market, I've learned more about technology, learn more about marketing. All of these things because I now have time to start catching up to where the world's headed versus being stuck in an environment that isn't embracing change. And it's important that we embrace change. We all have the tools available, or said another way, due to the internet and innovation, technology, startup companies, Individuals today have all of the tools available to them to start their own companies, whether they want a small company where it's just them, if they want a consulting group, if they want to be an investor, if they want to sell art. Individuals today have all of the tools necessary to be wildly successful in today's world and in the future than we did 5, 10, 15 years ago. And 
your earning potential is far greater as an individual than it is working um, as an analyst for some company. So your earning potential is greater. You can have multiple streams of income. You can work on things that you enjoy working on. You can meet new people. And you can learn how to use these tools that are going to be required to be successful in the future. All of these things are at our fingertips. Anybody can start a podcast. Anybody can sell art on the internet. There's a market for everything. For everything, there's a market. It takes hard work, takes effort. It takes planning, it takes strate- strategizing. But the tools are there. And what I just described feels risky and feels like a pipe dream to the younger generations, the people that are just graduating from college, even though I think they understand this better than most, to the millennials that are my age and probably a little bit older and younger. You know, what are you talking about? But what I'm talking about is empowering yourself to be successful in the future. We all have the ability to bend the world to however we want our lives to be. When I was working at MHC, I often felt like an actor in somebody else's movie. And that's how I felt. You know, I was a pawn, right? Getting shuffled around the board as I was getting promoted, as I was doing all these different things. Um, But I was just a pawn. And the game was changing. So outside of our little board, the game was changing. But our board never changed. And it was becoming riskier and riskier and riskier and riskier for me to stay there. But I couldn't see it, didn't understand it. The executives and all executives, all managers, well, maybe not all, but the vast majority of managers and executives play into this concept of loss aversion. They know that it's very difficult for people to leave. There's fear. And they benefit from that. And if that organization and those executives aren't reinvesting into the company to give millennials, Gen Zers, the tool sets to be successful in today's world because of how fast it's changing, it's exponential, it is absolutely exponential, then you're going to be left behind. We all have the ability to de-risk our lives. And that's what I'm talking about. De-risking your life. Taking back control. Corporations, large corporations like Murphy Hoffman Company, it's an institution. It's a centralized institution. That concept and that thought 
of working up the corporate ladder, that is an institution that has been ingrained in our minds since the Industrial Revolution. 100 years ago. Get security, get a paycheck. Right? Every two weeks, boom. Then I can go to the movies, I can buy that video game. I can spend it on whatever I want. Feed the machine. But that's the risky choice. That's the risky choice. Or you can leave. You can start your own business on the internet. Start a website. Sell something you're passionate about. Meet different people. Use your time how you want to use your time. Time is the most precious thing that we have. And you have to put a value on your time. And if you tell yourself that you're worth 4x what your salary is, well, go get it. De-risk your situation and go 4x it on your own. You have the power to do it. You have the ability to do it. You have the tool sets to do it. And honestly, you're going to need to do it. Because if you don't, in which the way that the world is changing and how fast everything's changing due to technology, you're going to be left behind. And this institution, these centralized companies, these national, multinational organizations... They will suffer because of it. And another thing that people aren't really thinking about is automation is here. Okay? It is absolutely here. Softbots, white-collar workers are going to be automated out. And if you don't have a creative bend to your job, a creative angle, whether it's art, music, doesn't matter, website design, um, programming, doesn't matter. If you don't have a creative component to what you do then you're going to be automated out companies are already moving this direction and there's risk there there's a lot of risk there that people don't see I think it's important that people think of themselves as, or at least this is how I thought of myself the last five years at MHC, was I was a mercenary. Because the company and the organization was going to do whatever was in the company's best interest. Not what was in my best interest as the employee, but what was ever in the company's and the shareholder's best interest. And so I needed to make as much money as I could. I needed to learn as much as I could to be successful and to stay relevant, stay competitive. Um, in the open market but as I was moving up I was taking on a lot more risk and this decentralization because I think you're going to see a lot of this is you're going to see millennials Gen Zers people from college they're going to go work for a startup or they're going to start up their own business They aren't going to 
take the same path that I took. I don't think, especially those ones graduated from school today. They're not going to take the same path. Because they understand that it's a path that um, is controlling. A path that isn't open to new ideas. Is a path that lacks freedom in terms of time management, in terms of constraints. And, you know, again, ultimately, it's a path that is going to lead you to being um, uncompetitive in the new world. And there, the trend will be greater individualism, right? Especially here in America. Um, the younger people see it. They see it. And... Bend the world. Bend the world to what you want. Stop being an actor in somebody else's play. And de-risk. De-risk. Because every second that you're at a company that isn't changing, isn't adapting to the world today, it's becoming riskier for you long term. There's no question in my mind. Like I said, I've learned more about the world and how to navigate the world and what it takes to be successful in the world over the next five years. Learned this in the last four months than I did in the previous 10. So take the step that you need to take. If you stop getting a paycheck every two weeks, You'll figure out how to make that money back on your own. You'll figure out how to hustle. And then the reality is if you say, hey, I want to 4X that amount, you'll 4X it. You'll 5X it. Because the tools are available today to 4X it, to 5X it, to 10X it. You just got to jump at the opportunity. And don't let, don't let the executives use loss aversion against you. Because that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. In Silicon Valley, there is no loss aversion. Companies are leaving. People are leaving at a breakneck, breakneck pace. And it's not only Silicon Valley, it's the coasts, it's large cities. Um, you know, I think the large city trend, you know, I keep hearing that New York City's dead. It's not dead. Um, might be dead for, you know, 70-year-olds that want to go down to Florida, right? But who's attracted to urban cities? Let's ask ourselves that. It's young people, Right? Young people want to be where the action is. Makes sense. And maybe there's going to be a resetting of cost to live in these urban cities. Supply and demand dynamics at play. You get a bunch of older people that leave. They go to Florida. They go to Arizona. And there's less demand. Well... That gives us an opportunity as young people to go fill that demand once prices drop, right? So I don't think it's the death of New York City or, I mean, I think even Silicon Valley will be fine. Um, it's going to provide an opportunity for, opportunity for new entrants, but... There certainly isn't, there is certainly, you know, movement that's happening and, and it's due to the digital world. 
you can be just as successful creating a startup in today's world thanks to the internet. Managing it from Seattle or Denver or Austin or Kansas City or St. Louis or Cleveland um, as you could managing it from San Francisco or L.A. or New York City or Atlanta. Thanks to the internet. And so people are moving. Prices of real estate in these other areas, they're going to go up. Right? New demand. Prices going up. Changes in demand at the margin, dry prices higher. You know, it's funny in my um, in my you know previous life at MHC. You know, person I widely I I, I looked up to the CFO. Um, you know, as my boss, I learned probably more from him than anybody else throughout my career, and. You know, he always talked about, well, Joe, you don't need to, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to get to 100%, right? I mean, I held nine, I got promoted nine times in nine years. He's like, you know, you just need to get to 85%, 90%, and then you hire people to do the margin, right? To, to kind of work on that remaining 10. And, you know, I agreed with that. I, I agree agree with that on some level but it's the margins that make all the difference it's that marginal change in dynamics and demand and supply that drives the price changes it's those margins that truly make a difference and differentiating yourselves or yourself from your competitors. Anybody can learn 90%, you know, with enough time. But it's understanding the margin that captures the most value. And that's something that, you know, again, you know, you get out of the status quo, you get out of the bubble you look at something from a different perspective and you start to see the world in a different way, in a new light. And it's that marginal demand change that's going to drive prices higher in these areas. Just like that marginal demand change in New York or San Francisco, it's going to drive prices lower for some time before younger generations are saying, hey, I want to be back in the action. I want the nightlife. I want 24 hours a day. I want New York City. I want to go, 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 go. I'm going to take my shot. And then they'll be back. They'll go back and prices will go up again. And so this is just a cycle that we're seeing. Um, you know, digitalization allows companies, and we've talked about this, to take a, take advantage of the talent arbitrage, to hire wherever. Um, and so it is going to play a role, and you don't need to have companies in certain areas anymore to be successful. But the dynamics that made those places great are still there post, in the post-pandemic world in the digital world, right? The variables that made those places successful and made people want to be there, those are still there. Um, it's just you're going to have a mix shift. And that's okay. That's okay. That's adaptability. It's agility. And that's what this show is all about.
that's what this show is all about. And the last thing for today before we kind of head off to the weekend here is, you know, I was thinking more about Powell's speech, Fed Chair Powell's speech last night. And the reality is the Fed's in a box, right? I mean, I keep thinking about, I keep thinking about the things that he was saying, how they are going to use their judgment more, their assertion of what maximum employment should be, no longer looking at deviations, how we want an average inflation target instead of just a target. And what the Fed's doing is they're creating gray area and their decision-making processes. You know, you have a circle, right? You have a circle that says, okay, these are the criteria for how I make my decisions. Well, whether it's unemployment, social welfare, social inequality, wealth inequality, um, inflation, you know, and this is the formula. We got the Phillips curve and, you know, we look at the data and the data tells us X and so we do X. Well, they're, they're getting rid of the math component, right? And they're going to start using their own judgment intuition um, on what they think it should be. But it allows them, it gives them cover in terms of how they arrive at these decisions because they're boxed in. I know they're boxed in. People that follow the macro economy know they're boxed in. Wall Street knows they're boxed in, which is why the stock market keeps going up and up. And it's because the Fed doesn't have any other choice. Um, the debt bubble is too big for them to go in any other direction. So they keep doubling down, doubling down, doubling down until the system will eventually break and collapse. Um, but they're boxed in. You could see it on Powell's face. I was watching another uh, show last night with one of the Fed presidents, and uh, the interviewer asked him, well, you've never been able to hit 2% inflation, so what makes you think you're going to be able to overshoot 2% inflation? How are you going to overshoot 2% inflation to get to your average? And the, the, the Fed president completely avoided the question, couldn't answer it. Couldn't answer it. And you could say, well, we're just going to print a bunch of money, which is what we know they're going to do. We're going to continue to do MMT because we don't have any other choice. Deflation is too risky. But the Fed knows that the finance world and the academics who largely agree with the Fed, but the hedge fund managers, your macroeconomists, people that run family offices, they understand what the implications are of what the money printing does, right? And the Fed's just hoping, hoping, fingers crossed, that the rest of society, the 99%, continue to not grasp the implications of their policy decisions. I mean, they're going to have this policy, this new monetary policy for the next five years. The swings, the volatility, it's only going to be more severe. The dollar over the past, let's call it, 
three months has had wild swings. Wild swings, right? Let's just, let's start from kind of pandemic, okay? Or end of February. So February 20th, let's just start there, okay? February 20th, the dollar closed at 99.88, so almost 100 exactly, okay? Pandemic happened, everything everything dropped, right? Everything kind of fell apart. Um, the Fed was busting out their bazookas. They were pumping liquidity into the global market due to the dollar shortage. We couldn't have uh, insolvencies um, on all of the debt in the world. Like, I, like we've talked about before, 80% of international trade is done via the dollar. So just injected uh, just unbelievable amount of stimulus and liquidity into the markets um, to keep the thing to keep the economy afloat while everything shut down. So the dollar, you know, again, February 20th was at 99.88. 20 days later, on March 9th, about 20 days later, closed at 95.07, so almost a 5% reduction in the value of the dollar. 10 days later, the dollar went all the way back up to 100, so it closed at 102.94, so 103. So it went from 100 to 95 to 103. This is all within one month, right? Let's fast forward another month. The dollar's down 3%, back to its 100. Okay, great. So we had some volatility. We were at 100, we went to 95, we went to 90 to 103, now we're back at 100, you know, all within two months. Month later, still right at 100. So great. So we've had some movements, but the volatility has really been within, let's call it one and a half percent. You know, we're still kind of on that baseline, let's call it 100 of pre pandemic. This is all within three months. So from February 20th, let's call it to May 20th. And then since May, It's gone from 100 to, let's call it, you know, a month later, June, June 20th, June 19th, we're at 97.72, so we dropped 2%. Okay, well, we've been trading within this 1.5% range, so it's likely to bounce back. July 20th, we're at 95.82, so we're continuing to drop. We're almost at our March, our March low of 95. August 20th, a month later, we're down to 92.74. So another 3% drop. We're now seven, a little over 7% from our February, our February baseline. And It'll be interesting to see what happens a month from now, you know, due to the new Fed policy. The dollar jumped. I mean, yesterday was was pretty wild due to all the, the activity um, due to the net new Fed policy. You know, it went from 92.42 uh, yesterday morning when Powell was speaking up to 93.32 within about 10, 20 minutes. And, you know, cover, covered in that 93 range most of yesterday. And today, it's down to 92.29. So, we've experienced these up and down moves, this volatility. And that volatility in the dollar, and this is going to apply to all markets, right? Because the Fed's not letting things self-correct. It's trying to control the action. 
And you're only going to have bigger and bigger extremes, which is driving the wealth inequality. And so they're boxed in. They're boxed in. And so it's just something we'll, we'll, we'll stay abreast of. We'll, we'll keep tracking. We'll look at the dollar a month from now, see what the action is. Um, but the Fed policies are driving extreme action, extreme movements, extreme volatility because they're trying to keep it contained and not letting market forces drive prices. And that's all we have today for the Moran Show, the Joe Moran Show. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Uh, I know I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to get a break in the heat here. Um, So until Monday, let's keep our ears to the grindstone.